So welcome again, everybody, to Greenbelt. If you're new with us today, my name's Kevin, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt Church. Today, I'm really excited that we are kicking off a brand new sermon series that's going to bring us right until Easter. I mean, it's kind of weird to even think about Easter since Christmas literally just finished about a month ago, but, uh, you know, Easter happens pretty fast around here. So I'm excited to start this series off. We're going to go through uh, one of the Gospels in the New Testament. We're going to go through the Gospel of Luke, and I've titled this sermon series, uh, A King for All. Uh, a number of, uh, I remember a number of years ago, I was really big into blogging, and I was writing several blog posts uh, a, a week, and kind of without me even really realizing it, uh, something that I had written about uh, got picked up by a larger um, Christian blog that had several tens of thousands of followers. I mean, my blog had about two followers, myself and my mom, um, but this post got picked up and um, suddenly I found myself uh, receiving haters online. Uh, one of the comments that came on the, as they uh, kind of connected with what I had written online was, uh, this guy, Pastor Kevin, is a closed-minded idiot. That, that was the response. That was the comment on this very, very large blog that had quoted me, that this guy is nothing more than a closed-minded idiot. And the reason I was accused of being a closed-minded idiot was because I had made the comment that Jesus is the king of everybody, that Jesus is the Lord of all. And that got me the accusation of being a closed-minded idiot. You know, sadly, we live in a day and in, in a culture where the reality is is so many of us can be closed-minded idiots, for a lack of a better term. We become so ingrained in our positions, we become so ingrained in our beliefs that we kind of make some bold statements that ultimately, when we unpack them, are not true. Just as one, just as an example, I could have chosen many, many different examples. This one was kind of on my heart just in light of kind of the U.S. elections and everything that kind of just finished off. But um, I've heard language over the last few years of people declaring, you know, a certain individual is not my president or a certain individual is not my prime minister, right? There were these bold kind of statements that, this person, not my leader, not someone I follow, not my president, not my prime minister. Now, I understand the sentiment behind those statements. I really do. But the problem with statements like that is they're not true. They're not true, right? These elected officials that are put in place to govern us, no matter what country we are a part of, whether we like it or not, whether we follow them or not, whether we submit to their authority or not, the reality is, is they are the president. They are the prime minister. They are the king. You see, whether you and I acknowledge Jesus as being the king of all, whether we acknowledge that or not, doesn't negate the reality that it's true. And so that's what I want us to do as we kind of spend the next couple of months looking at the gospel of Luke together, is we have to see Jesus as king. Because there's a, I believe, there's a difference of following Jesus as a buddy, following Jesus as a savior, or following Jesus as Lord, as king as king of all. So my hope and my desire as we go through this series together, whether you've been a Christian for many, many decades, or whether you're here today and you're not too sure what you believe about Jesus and you're just kind of exploring the Christian faith, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, my hope and my desires for each and every one of us is to submit to the kingship of Jesus, to look at the kingship of Jesus, and to see how that transforms our lives as we live for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the world that we find us today. 
Now, just to set a little bit of the groundwork uh, as we're get kicking this series off today, uh, the Gospel of Luke was written by a man named Luke. He is known as Luke the Physician. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And um, we can see that all throughout his letter that he writes that Luke is proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world, right? Luke was a frequent companion of the Apostle Paul. He joined Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys around the, the known world at the time, traveled with him, got firsthand account of what God was doing through the early church. And he wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke. He wrote these two books, and he was very specific in why he wrote it. And that... um reason for writing this down is important for us as we study it. It's important for us as we go through it, because we always have to read it through the lens of why was this written? Why did Luke write this stuff down? Why did Luke you know, feel this was so crucial to put this to paper? Why did God speak to him this way? Like It gives us the reason for it. Sometimes we interpret scripture through our lens, through the reason we think it's written down. But we got to look at what does the text actually say? Like, you know, I love letters like this when it flat out tells us this is the goal. This is the end game. This is why this was written down, right? Luke tells us his reasons for writing this right here in Luke chapter one, verse four, right? He says the reason that he had written all of this down, he wrote it down. He wrote an orderly account, right? He, he's a physician. So he wanted to make sure it made sense. He wanted to make sure that it flowed properly. He writes this orderly account so that you may know for certainty the things that you have been taught, so he's writing to to a man named Theophilus. We're not too sure if Theophilus is an actual person because uh, Theophilus means lover of God. So maybe he is writing it to the church at large, all the people who love God. Most scholars believe it's an actual person, a Greek person. Um, but he writes this very specifically so that you may know the certainty that this is not Maybe, not too sure, I'm, um, I don't know. It's to develop certainty in the lover of God, in the person who has heard about the ministry of Jesus, who's heard about the death of Jesus, who's heard about the resurrection of Jesus, who's heard about the ascension of Jesus, who's heard about the Holy Spirit coming on the followers of Jesus in power and in strength and sending them out to plant churches all over the region and all over the world. It's so that you will know with certainty these things that were taught to you, that you can trust them. And so what we're going to do in this series is to look at the, you know, so that you and I can know with certainty that Jesus is king over all areas of our lives, right? So we can look at the life of Jesus, look at the teachings of Jesus, and then we can look at our own lives, look at my life, look at your life, and see how we could let Jesus cause us to grow in our faith, to grow in how we're living our lives under the kingship of Jesus, you know, my hope is also that throughout this series, we will help other people come to know who Jesus truly is. Again, I think so sadly in our culture, in our world today, a lot of people have a misconception of who Jesus is. I had a misconception of who Jesus is for a long time in my early life. And so I think it's so important that people truly know Jesus as king, but Jesus as a good king. Jesus as a loving king. Jesus as a, as a merciful king. And then ultimately my hope is that as we see us grow in our faith in Jesus, see more people get to understand who Jesus really is, that it would help all of us find our role in fulfilling the mission of Jesus together. So as we kick this series off, I'm going to start kind of giving kind of a summary of the first ch couple of chapters of Luke, Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two. And I want us to talk today together as a church family about the importance of telling people about Jesus. Now, as soon as those words kind of left my mouth, I kind of picture your reaction. If you would actually be here in the building with me today, and I said, today's sermon is all about the importance of telling people about Jesus, 
I can see you. I can see the people in the crowd. I can see the shoulders going up. I can see the eyebrows going up. I can see the eye rolling happen. It's like, oh, I really don't want a sermon about the importance of telling people about Jesus. Because there's something in our gut that is terrified about the idea of telling people about Jesus. There's a fear, there's an anxiety, there's a worry with just that idea. I mean, I've been a pastor now for about for 15 years, and I've come to see one of the biggest fears in the church is the topic of sharing their faith, of telling someone about Jesus. And the reality is, is I completely relate to that because it's probably one of my big fears as well, too. And it's kind of crazy that it is a fear because I love talking about Jesus. I love telling about Jesus. I have such a heart for people to come and know who Jesus is as king of all. But there's something where my heart and my mind and my intestines don't want to come into alignment and agreement sometimes on this topic. So I really want us to start looking at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and having kind of this mindset of the call of followers of Jesus is to live lives of telling people about Jesus. The call on my life, the call on your life as a follower of Jesus is to tell other people about Jesus. And the way that I want us to unpack that together today is going through Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, and looking at some of the people who are directly involved with the birth of Jesus story. I mean, this is normally a text that we would read around Christmas time. The four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve is when we'd spend a lot of time in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Well, I want to spend time on that today, looking at Mary looking at the shepherds and looking at a prophet named Anna. And I want to look at their lives, look at what Luke records about them in his orderly account of what Jesus has done and what God did through the life of Jesus, not to mimic them, not to go, well, I need to be like Mary. I need to be like a shepherd. I need to be like the prophet Anna. It's not about imitation, but looking at their faith. What was it about their faith in God that allowed them to live a life of telling people about Jesus? So let's kind of start off right away. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 1, and I want to read here from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Uh, Just to kind of set this up a little bit before that, um, there's kind of uh, two women that are introduced in Luke's gospel. There's Elizabeth and there's Mary. Now, Elizabeth is Mary's older cousin. She's significantly older than Mary. Mary's probably 13, somewhere around there, 13 years old. Elizabeth is significantly older, and she's past the age of childbearing, right? And she's married to a priest named Zachariah. And she, Zachariah gets a message from God that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. They're going to have a baby. They don't believe it, and they're, they're all doubtful about this. But they're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be the one to lead the way. He's going to proclaim the coming Messiah, that he's going to kind of make straight the path for the Messiah to come. And so we read about this. And then we read about um, Elizabeth's um, cousin, Mary. And Mary gets an announcement from an angel that she is going to um, conceive. And so this is what we read here in Luke chapter 1, verses 26. Excuse me. It says, In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabraham to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And so Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One 
to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Then Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Right? So here we have this foretelling that the birth of Jesus is being foretold by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel paints a picture for us in this account of exactly who Jesus is. That Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus is the son of the the line of David. That he will inherit the kingdom of David. That his kingdom will have no end. That's an eternal kingdom. And we see right here in this description that this Jesus who will be born is of God and is God, is fully God, is fully man. Right? Not just simply a good person, not just simply a good moral teacher, not just simply a good religious example to follow. God himself, the great king of all. The king who is coming to establish an eternal kingdom. And then, so this is kind of gives this picture of this Jesus that's about to come into the world. And then the story continues um, after uh, the, for the, sorry, the story continues. And now it's time for Mary to actually give birth to Jesus. And the story, you know, first John the Baptist is born. And then in Luke chapter two, we now read about the birth of Jesus. And this is the very traditional Christmas story. Probably a lot of you read it in your families as you celebrated Christmas this year. But if we skip down a few verses in Luke chapter two, verse eight, we read about these shepherds. And shepherds who learn about the coming Jesus. And here it says in uh, Luke 2, verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not some people. All people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. So right here in this story of the birth of Jesus, we see these shepherds who witness kind of this miraculous event of hosts of angels, kind of a choir of angels opening up the heavens and proclaiming the glory of God, that God's peace that is come to the world. And what this peace is, is this, it's not a peace like you and I understand peace. It's not that, that at this moment all war is going to stop and all humanity is going to live in peace and harmony. This is a different kind of peace. It's that God's peace with humanity has come to the world. That the thing that separates God from humanity, sin, is being dealt with. And that humanity no longer has to live in fear of God because of their sin. No one has to live in fear of some wrathful, vengeful God dealing and punishing their sin because God has a plan to deal with sin. And that he has sent his one and only son to come into the world to live a sinless life and to be the sacrifice for sin that you and I could never be, that we could never measure up for. It's the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's that we can live as peace with God, that we can rest in what God is doing and we can glorify him. And so when the shepherds get news of this and they go and they see Jesus, they see that the Lamb of God has come into the world, that peace has come into the world, that humanity can know peace with God finally. They spread the word. 
You see, they didn't hoard it. They didn't keep it to themselves. They told everyone they could about Jesus. So first we have Mary kind of being foretold about this king. And then as people start coming into contact with the king of all, their response of the shepherds is to tell other people. Well, we see that same theme continue in this story as we now jump down to Luke chapter 2. You know, kind of time is advancing a little bit, and we find ourselves in the temple of Jerusalem. And so Mary and Joseph, they go to the temple of Jerusalem for what is called the purification rites. And what this was is this was actually something that was required of um, Jewish women to do um, about... 42 days after they give birth. Because after women would give birth, they were considered to be ceremonial, I hate this word, ceremonially unclean, according to the Jewish faith. And then they had to go through a rite of of cleansing so that they could worship God again in the temple. You can actually, if you're interested in this cleansing ritual for pregnant women after they give birth, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 12. Now, obviously, this isn't a command that we follow anymore because Jesus is the one who makes us clean. But this is what Mary and Joseph were doing. They went to the temple for this purification thing. When Jesus was eight days old, he was circumcised. And then the mother waits another 33 days to be purified. And so we see this happening. And in this account of Mary and Joseph going to the temple, we come across a woman, a prophet named Anna. And we can read about Anna here in Luke chapter 2, starting down in verse 36. And it says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, so coming up to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So again, so we see this prophet, Anna, who was married probably as a young woman, was married for about seven years, and then became a widow, and spent the rest of her life just praising God, worshiping God, waiting for the day when peace between man and God would come, waiting for the day when the Messiah would come to redeem the people to redeem them of their sin, to establish God's eternal kingdom. And when she witnesses that in her day, witnesses that in her lifetime, again, her response is to tell others, to tell everyone else around her. Jesus is foretold to the Virgin Mary And as people come into contact with Jesus, the response they have is to go and tell others. You see, that is how God works. That God steps into the lives of regular, ordinary people. When we look at shepherds and we look at Anna, this is two examples of people who would have been considered outcasts by the people of Israel. The shepherds would have been outcasts from the people of Israel because they had to keep uh, sheep. They couldn't keep uh, the commandments like Sabbath. They couldn't keep a lot of the commandments about cleanliness. And so a lot of the times they could not go to worship in the temple. Right, So they were outsiders. They couldn't worship the way Israel was called to worship because of the strict rules of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it's kind of sad that's the way they were treated because Scripture, the Old Testament, actually has a very high regard for shepherds. King David was one. But they were outcasts. Right, The prophet Anna was a widow. Widows and orphans, we see all throughout the scriptures that God has a huge heart for widows and orphans because they too are outcasts. In their society, in their culture, there isn't anyone to love them, to care for them, to provide for them. And so Anna spends the remainder of her days not in a home, not on her land, not being you know, uh, cared for, but has to stay in the temple, 
We don't know if she lost her home. We don't know if she lost her land. But losing her husband would have meant um, she's not under someone's protection anymore. So outcasts is who God comes to. Because he, he is the king of the outcast. He is the king of the mighty. He is the king of the kings. But he's also the king of the least of these. The, the men, the women, the boys and girls, that religious people in the days of Jesus forgot about and cast aside. And when God steps into the life of regular, ordinary people, the response of all of them, all of them, all of them, is to tell other people about this amazing God. It's how God set up his church. We see this at the beginning of Luke's gospel. We see this all throughout Luke's account of the book of Acts. We see this continue into the ministry of Paul as he was starting churches. But the call of the Christian, the call of the person who has come and had a miraculous encounter with Jesus... It's then to respond by telling others, right? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He says, how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? He's talking to people out in the world who've not heard about Jesus, who've not heard about the king of all, who've not heard about the great thing that God has done, right? How can they call on the name of Jesus to be saved of their sins if they've not believed in him? Right? And how can they believe in him if they've not heard about him? Right? And how can they hear about him without someone preaching to them? Now, when Paul uses the word preaching, it's not this negative condemnation that we kind of use that word as in our culture. You know, when we say, hey, stop preaching at me. That's not what Paul's talking about, uh, what Paul's talking about here. Right? The word peach, uh, preach is to proclaim. It's to declare. It's to tell. It's to announce. It's not to wave a holy finger at people and say, you're no good, you dirty, rotten sinner, you need Jesus. No, it's to tell people, proclaim about the goodness of God. Proclaim about the goodness of what Jesus has done. The greatness of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Right? We proclaim. We need to be men, women, boys and girls who are living lives of proclaiming Jesus. And I get it. It's hard, and it's difficult, and it feels scary, and it's something that we worry about. At some point in church history, and I'm actually um, in the process of kind of writing a little bit of a leadership book right now. I don't know if it's going to be a book or just a chicken scratch on a napkin that I'm going to use in my discipleship of other leaders. But um, I'm, I'm intentionally looking at uh, church history because at some point, we went from encountering Jesus, telling everybody about Jesus. We went from the book of Acts of planting churches and being excited and being joyful of our faith and not worried about persecution and not worried about going to jail and not worried about the repercussions of sharing our faith with people. That's how the church started. And then at some point in church history, we became about consuming Christianity. We became about comfort. We became about our ease. We became about our preference. We became about, well, as long as the church preaches the way I like and does music the way I like and runs the programs that I like, then I'll, I'll put some money in the basket and I'll participate in the mission of that church as long as they do what I like. <laughs> We've moved into becoming consumers and that we have paid holy people. <laughs> we have the paid pastors that they do the ministry. They're the ones who tell people about Jesus and everyone else just consumes it. Well, the problem of consumption is that's not the message of Jesus. That's not what we see through the lives of people who have a true miraculous encounter with Christ. And so if God is truly calling every single Christian Regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, if you've been following Jesus for a few weeks or you've been following Jesus for a few decades, if the call of God is to truly equip us as Christians to tell other people about Jesus, how do we go about that? How do we go about that? 
Well, I think there's two things that we can see, not directly from the text. Like the text doesn't say here's an area that you should grow in when it comes to your faith. But I think as we unpack the life of Mary, when we look at the role of the shepherds and how they respond, when we look at Anna and how she responds to this encounter with Jesus, I think there's two key things that are crucial for us to grow in in our faith journey. Because these two things, I think, will equip us and allow God to work in our lives to empower us to be so much more confident and so much more excited to actually share our faith in Jesus with other people. So I encourage you to kind of, you know, jot these down, take notes and discuss these things and pray about these in your life group this week. And uh, just a little sidebar, if you're not currently in a life group, uh, we as a church firmly believe in the importance of everyone being engaged with a small group of other um uh, Christians, or even people checking out, join a life group, even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're totally welcome to join a life group and to ask questions about faith and things like that. And we unpack these biblical truths together to pray for one another and to encourage one another and to support and care and love on one another. So there's a link here um, just up in the menu bar. If you just click on life groups, you can find all the groups that are available. Find one that works for you. So two things. Encourage you to write these down. The first thing is that we see from the life of Mary and the shepherds and from Anna is we see men and women who are growing in humility before God. We see people who are growing in humility before God. And if you and I want to live a life where we are telling people about Jesus, I believe we need to grow in our humility before God as well. You see, Mary recognizes God's plans right away. I love her response in this. Like, I absolutely love her response in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, where it says, May your word to me be fulfilled. There's no questions. There's no doubt. There's no, yeah, but what about, and what about, and hey, you know, my friend, you know, over there across the street, what are you doing in her life? Are you going to make her do this too? You know, there's no comparison with anybody else. It's this angel comes, you have been, you know, tells her that she's been favored by God. She's going to receive, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to overtake her, it's going to overcome her, overshadow her, and then she's going to conceive a son. And as I've talked about before over the Christmas holidays and many times, that message in her culture is kind of like a death sentence to be an, un, an, unwed, uh, an unwed pregnant woman. And she's already legally bound to Joseph. And for her to suddenly be pregnant in a culture where um, women were put to death for that, her response is a response of humility. It's a response of, Lord, your will be done, not mine. Right? It's, may your word to me be fulfilled. Right? Again, these are regular, ordinary people. We see shepherds. We see a widow. We see a young virgin girl right, living as outcasts in their society. And they receive this message from God. They see this glimpse of God's plan for humanity. They see a glimpse, just a tiny little glimpse of what God is about to do. They don't get to see the whole story. They don't have the scriptures in their hands to see how it's going to end. All they see is a baby, <laughs> But yet their humility before God and God's plan just causes them to rejoice in that. Right? They know that God has a plan to send the Messiah into the world, a savior for them. They've been waiting and longing for that Messiah for generations. Right? They knew of their need for the Messiah to restore them, to restore their kingdom. They've been waiting and longing for redemption. Right? It's a group of people following religious rules and traditions, desperate to please God. Right? And so we see this response of the humility of God's plan being lived out in how they go about and tell people. Now, what's fascinating about the way they go about telling them is we see this because it's at the beginning of Luke, right? It, it kind of reminds me of how when people are new in their faith, right? When people are brand new in their faith in Jesus, those are the men and women and boys and girls who I find tell the most people about Jesus, 
they, they, there's just a fire in them, right? It's like they've come to the end of themselves, whether they were trying to be religious, whether they, their life, you know, was difficult and God stepped in and Jesus stepped into their lives and brought some healing or brought some hope, whatever God did in that moment in their lives, right? That there's something about the brand new believer who is on absolute fire to tell everyone they know about Jesus. And, and I see this play out again and again and again in so many people's lives. And to be flat out honest, it played out this way in my life. You see, when I put my faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I, I, I was, I became one of those crazy people. <laughs> I became one of those crazy people that just everywhere I went, I was telling people about Jesus. I was looking for conversations to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, I used to work in the computer industry and I had um, kind of this um, satchel case that would go over my shoulder that I would have my laptop and all my computer equipment in. And I intentionally had my Bible that I carried with me everywhere. That was before I had the version Bible app on my cell phone. So I had a paper Bible and I would, and it was a Bible that kind of had the words Holy Bible written on the front cover. And I took some paper and crushed it and put it in the side pocket so that when I put the Bible in, it would strategically be high enough that the words Holy Bible would be seen and not be tucked in my, my briefcase. Because <laughs> I wanted the people to see that I was carrying a Bible around hoping that someone would ask me questions about it or that it would start some conversation. And what's absolutely crazy is it did. I'd be on, my tr- on the train on the way to work. We'd be t- I'd be talking to strangers about Jesus, talking to strangers about the Bible. I'd be at my office. That was around the time when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, and I hung up a movie poster of The Passion of the Christ in my office. <laughs> and people would come in, and they'd say, Hey, Kevin, who do you think killed Jesus? Was it the Romans or was it the Jews? I'd be like, It was God. They're like, What? What do you mean it was God? So yeah, it was God's plan to sacrifice his son because he loves you so so much. I didn't care about getting fired. I didn't care about who I offended. I was the nut job. But then something starts to happen to us as followers of Jesus who are so excited about Jesus is we start to take hits, right? People start to push back. Loved ones that we love are sick and tired of hearing us talk about Jesus and they let us know it. And they let us know it under no circum terms do they ever want to hear about this again. You need to be quiet about this or I'm out of here. We take hits and we take hits and we're disappointed. And people that we love and people that we care for, they're not responding to this message of Jesus the way that we wish that they would. And so what starts to happen in all of our lives is we begin to develop an attitude that, well, I'm going to stop telling people about Jesus and I'm going to leave that to the professionals. I'm going to leave that to the YouTube channels and the pastors and the social media and all these different things, right? And then suddenly we kind of start going into ourselves because we've been hurt, because we've been hit, because we've been wounded. Well, then we need a time of kind of going through those wounds and getting healing from those wounds but sometimes that journey takes way too long and we sit in it for way too long. And then suddenly we've developed another attitude where it's about what I get and what I consume because of the wounds that we receive. And, and for me personally, when I'm feeling that way, when I'm feeling those wounds of people not responding to the way I've been telling people about Jesus, there's two things that I do. First, I make sure I'm not being kind of overly pushy or a spiritual jerk <laughs> in, in how I'm telling people about Jesus, because I, I can go that route sometimes too. So we all have to be honest and confess and repent about that, <laughs> that we weren't being overly spiritually pushy and damaging to people. But most of the time, when I really reflect on that, it's because I have a plan for people's lives. I have a plan for how I want them to respond. And I've forgotten that it's not about my plan. I've forgotten it's not about my wants and my desires. It's about God's plan for that person. It's about God's desires for that person. And I need to step into humility to trust that God's plan for my loved ones for family, for friends, for people from my hobby groups, people I connect with online. I have to trust that God's plan for them is better than my plan for them. 
I mean, I wish that every single person I invited to come to Greenbelt online during the pandemic, and so many of my friends have, I wish every single one of them would click that banner to accept Jesus. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't always happen that way. I have to walk in humility. And humility is something that we grow in the more and more we get to know who God is. The more that we get to know that he is the king of all, that he is a good king, that he's a loving king, that he's a merciful king, that he is a kind king, that, that he is a king of ultimate love. He's a king who laid down his own life for the people that we love. We have to grow in humility. And as we step into humility, that's not about me trying to save someone, not about me trying to convert someone, not me trying to convince someone or argue with someone. That I can just share sim- so simply how Jesus came into my life and how, what Jesus means to me and do it from a posture of humility. So that's the first way. If we want to grow in being men, women, boys, and girls who tell people about Jesus, I believe we have to follow kind of the example of the shepherds and Anna living lives of humility. And then secondly, the way that we grow, that, or way that we can grow based on the response that we see here, is that we have to grow more in the joy of God's presence. We have to grow in joy being in God's presence, right? That's what we see here in the response of the shepherds and of the prophet Anna here in Luke chapter two, that they meet Jesus. And again, Jesus is a baby here. So Jesus isn't doing miracles. He's not giving them bread. He's not uh, multiplying loaves and fish. He's not turning water into wine. He's not doing the miraculous things so that people can benefit from it. It's they're seeing God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, the Lamb of God who came to redeem humanity. And that alone brings them joy. I say all the time that, and I got this from a mentor of mine, that that we don't rejoice and praise God for what he gives us. We rejoice and we praise God because he died for us. And that's what the the shepherds here experience. That's what Anna experiences. They see God's plan of redemption. I think what happens to us as we walk with God for a long time is we forget that our salvation is a miracle. The fact that Kevin Presso, a young atheist who was working in the computer industry, who had everything life had to offer. He had an amazing girlfriend named Danielle. He had a fantastic job where he was traveling all over the world. He had started a business with a buddy of his and they sold their business to a large company and got these incredible jobs where we were just printing our own money. We had everything the world had to offer us. And then Jesus stepped into my life. You see, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't rock bottom. I wasn't broken. I wasn't sick. I wasn't wounded. My girlfriend didn't dump me. All the the things that we think need to happen for people to come to Jesus. I was at the top of my game. And in fact, I was reading a Bible to disprove things that I had heard about Jesus on the internet. And then Jesus stepped into my life. And everything about my life in that moment changed that my sin was dealt with, and that Kevin Presso, in, in, in his sin and his wants, his desires, his passions, all of that was stripped away. And that's a miracle when that happens. When you came to Jesus, it was a miracle that it happened. When the 79 people who've clicked the banner or who've accepted Jesus here at Greenbelt Online over the past year, it's a miracle every time that it happens. But because church becomes so familiar and our faith journey becomes so familiar, we begin to lose the joy of our salvation because we're looking for more. We're looking for other miracles. We're looking for other blessings. We're looking for deeper teaching. We're looking for whatever it is. But I think it's so crucial for us to grow in the joy of the simple presence of God that he came and made his dwelling place among you. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that when we turn from our sin, like I did 20 years ago on my commute to work, when I prayed that God would forgive me of my sin, when I prayed that God would come into my life, the Bible teaches us that at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into you and you become the temple of God. The full glory of the presence of God dwells in you. You see, you don't need to go to a church building to come into the full presence of the glory of God. You don't need to be in a room with a thousand other people worshiping God with a fog machine and laser lights, even though I think that's awesome and I can't wait to go back to that one day. <laughs> right? But that is not where the presence of God is. That's not the only place where the presence of God is. The presence of God, the full glory of the presence of God is with you right where you are right now, whether you're by yourself whether you're just with your spouse and your children and that knowledge that the presence of God is with you, that you have been saved from your sin and the presence of God is in you should cause us to grow more in joy. That's not about what I get. It's not about the circumstances. It's the fact that God would save me a sinner. And just that message alone is worth proclaiming everywhere that we go. When I talk to people about Jesus, I, you know, yes, I talk about the miracles. Yes, I talk about the healings. Yes, I talk about the blessings. But ultimately, it's not about those things. It's that you can know peace with God because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the king of all. Whether you currently acknowledge it or not, doesn't matter if you acknowledge it. doesn't matter if you believe in it. The reality is, it's true. The reality is, it's fact. And so when we tell people about Jesus, that he died for you, that he paid a price that you could never pay, and we extend an invitation, would you like to know Jesus personally? Not so you can get what you want, not so that you can get blessing, not so you can receive these other things, but just so that you can know that there's nothing between you and God. Do you want that? That brings great joy. And maybe you're watching today. And as I say those words, there's kind of like the hair on your arms might be standing up and there's something speaking to your heart right now. I believe that is the spirit of God speaking to you because God is with you right where you are. God is with you right where you are at this moment, speaking into your heart, saying this is what you need. And I would invite you to just simply lean into that to trust that feeling and just to pray, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life. Make me new. God, save me from my sin. Thank you that Jesus came, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again. Come in me. Fill me with your spirit. If you pray that today, I would love if you would click the banner that shows up in the chat. Let us know that you did that so we could celebrate and experience great joy with you in that moment. And for those of us who've done that so long ago, we can never forget about the joy that's in our salvation. Like the, the shepherds who were out in the fields and it's cold and it's dark, and they're outcasts, and they can't worship. They rejoice, and they tell other people because they've seen what God has done. The redemption has come into the world. This prophet Anna, who's been living on her own in the temple for decades, who hasn't had a husband, who's just praying and fasting and waiting for God's Messiah to show up. She rejoices and tells other people who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Right? There's this joy that we need to grow in. So this year, that's my prayer for us as we kick this series off, as we lean into learning more about how Jesus is king of all, that you and I would grow in humility, that you and I would grow in joy. Because I firmly believe from the examples that we see in this text and other examples we're going to see throughout this series is that we see these men and women, we see these children experiencing humility and joy and proclaiming Jesus everywhere that we go. And because proclaiming, because telling people about Jesus, we get it as a church that it's difficult. We get it that it's awkward. We get that it's uncomfortable. We want to spend more time this year equipping you to be able to share your faith in Jesus. 
as a church, we want to put tools and resources into your hands to help you grow in humility and in joy. We want to help you um, comfortably, you know, maybe push yourself a little bit, stretch yourself a little bit, but to use resources to tell your friends and family about Jesus. We're working on cleaning up our social media presence to help you tell other people about Jesus. Uh, We have the church online platform. If you invite someone to church online, right, don't just invite them to it and then ignore them. Make sure that you're on the chat. Make sure that that they see your name popping up because maybe your friend that you invited is actually watching. They need to see your name and pop up in the chat right on Sunday morning go oh wow Bob is here hey Bob it's Mike you know I came you know you invited me it's great to see you here talk to them engage with them don't just ignore them after you've invited them right try to engage with them that way Uh, Danielle and I are starting a new online talk show that's going to premiere on the last Friday of January it's to look at the good news of Jesus look at the good news of what God is doing in our community as a tool and resource to encourage you and to share with other people Uh, We want to be doing more intentional grow training this year on the area of being able to share our faith in this kind of digital and physical world that we find ourselves living in now. But it all starts out of a humility of God's plan. God wants to use me to reach people for Jesus. Am I willing to submit to that plan? God calls his people to be a blessing to all people. We need to lean into that and it takes some humility. We need to be reminded of how you and I have been saved of our sin. That should cause great joy and should build us up so that other people can experience that joy as well, too. And I firmly believe as we lean into that, that we know that Jesus was foretold. We see it in the scriptures and we also know that Jesus wants to bring more and more people into his family. And we know that God wants to do that through you and through me. Let's pray. So, Father God, I praise you and thank you that you sent Jesus to deal with our sin. I praise you and thank you that you came into my life. I wasn't even searching for you. I didn't know I needed you, and I definitely didn't want you. But you broke through my hard heart. You broke through my sin. You did a miracle by coming into my life. And God, I pray that I would never, ever take that for granted. I pray that for our church family, that we would never take our salvation for granted. We would never just see it as, eh, I'm a Christian. Eh, it's what I've always believed. God, I pray that we would rejoice, that we would be humbled, that you would come into our lives. I pray that we would experience great joy by your presence in our lives. And God, I pray that that would equip us to share our faith in Jesus with our loved ones. Invite friends and family and colleagues to Greenbelt Online, to reach out to people on social media, to let them know about the God who is the King of all, who loves them, who died for them. And Father, I pray as we as your church grow in humility and grow in joy, that you would use the growth that we have in those areas to bless the world. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.